calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Welcome to the serialized audiobook, Ancestor, written by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler, performed by the author. Ancestor is also available in print, ebook, and unabridged audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsigler.com slash ancestor. November 29th, 210 pounds, 6 ounces. Implantation plus 20 days. The 3D ultrasound was a marvelous invention, but Klaus had always thought it looked a little... fake. Maybe it was the gold tint, or the way the little computer model rotated with the trackball movements. He knew the images were real, but on the flat panel screen they still looked like exactly what they were. Computer graphics. And computer graphics, no matter how detailed, couldn't touch the real thing. The real thing, which now sat on the lab table. It wasn't in a dissection tray, because there weren't any dissection trays that big. It didn't even fit on the damn table. He, Tim, and Jean stood there, looking at the corpse they'd taken out of Miss Milkshake's belly. Oh, fuck me running, Tim said. Look at those claws! Klaus was looking at the claws, and the teeth, and the front and back legs that hung partially off the edges of the black table. He looked at his computer for the tenth time still amazed at the weight. An actual weight, not one of Tim's calculations. 210 pounds, 6 ounces. Five feet long, from the tip of the nose to the end of its tailless posterior. The beginnings of fur were pushing out from the pink skin. The animal had put on 55 pounds in the last three days. What in God's name had Jean created? Look at the teeth, she said. I am, Rumkor said. Can't you see that I am? Long and pointy, the ancestors' teeth were definitely designed for killing, for ripping off large chunks of flesh and swallowing them whole. A mouthful of canines, without an incisor or molar to be found. Tim reached out, gingerly, and traced his fingers along the animal's thick head. This lower dentiary, it's massive! The heavy jawbone was at least two feet wide at the base, giving the head a wide, triangular shape tapering off at the nose. The jaw bulged with attached muscles. Klaus hadn't been ready for this. They hadn't seen a fetus outside of the womb for 13 days, ever since Dante forbade further autopsies. 13 days ago, 115 pounds ago. Timothy, Klaus said. Start on the autopsy for Miss Milkshake immediately. We have to know why she died. Go. 
Tim ran to the ladder and descended. Klaus carefully examined the skull. Two feet wide, two feet long. The last 14 inches of length were nothing but jaws and teeth. The creature still possessed a proportionately large brain case. The brain-to-body weight ratio ranked alongside that of wolves. The skull wasn't the only shocking feature. The front legs had retained their relative length advantage over the hind limbs. The creature would move half upright. All claws ended in thick, muscular digits, each tipped with a six-inch long claw. Sharp, pointy claws, like those of a big cat. Now you see, John said. Dr. Rumkoff, please. You shut your mouth, he said quietly. There would be no more insubordination from Jean and Timothy, a fact he would have to remind them of from time to time. It will probably go through more physiological changes before it's ready for birth. What I can't figure out is this protrusion coming out the back of its head. A two-foot-long strand of cartilage, thin but sturdy, stretched from the back of the fetus's head. He gently lifted the cartilage. Still-forming skin ran from it down to the creature's back. It almost looks like a variation on the Dimetrodon spinal sail, Klaus said. I don't know what you were coding for with this, Gian. Come now, you've got to remember something this unusual. What is it? Jeanne looked at the growth, then up at Klaus. Tears filled her eyes. I do not remember what it is for, she said. But it does not matter. Please, Dr. Rumkoff. We are on an island where no one can reach us. We have to stop this. You can ask... Do you remember what your insane asylum looked like, John? She leaned away like he'd actually hit her. That reaction, the way she caught her breath. He knew she'd spent a few years in one before her countrymen got her back to some semblance of sanity. It was the perfect threat to keep her in line. Get back to work, he said. You made this animal. You go through your code, figure out what we have to prepare for. Do you understand me? She shrank back, nodding, then turned and waddled to the ladder. He stared at her all the way, in case she looked back with that pathetic, fat face. She did once, saw him watching her, then scurried the rest of the way to the lower deck. Left alone, Klaus stared at the huge corpse. Claws, teeth, that wide jaw. That spine. The cages would be enough. They had to be. November 30th, the pimp slap. Implantation plus 21 days. Tim shivered as he stared up at the bulkhead monitor. He needed a snort something fierce, but he couldn't risk pulling his flask out of his back pocket. Not with Rumkorf watching. And maybe this really wasn't the best time to be schnockered. Jean stood next to the screen, also looking up at it, mumbling in Mandarin over and over again, switching her weight from the left foot to the right foot and back. She didn't look like a scientist anymore. She looked like a lunatic. Rumkorf sat on a stool, alternately looking at the IV needle in his hand and the pictures up on the bulkhead monitor. So the IV needle came out of the vein, he said, his voice a monotone of detached scientific analysis. When would you estimate this happened, Mr. Feely? 
About 11 p.m., Tim said. I checked the logs of the IV pump. It registered a pressure change, but not enough to trigger an alarm because it was still pumping. Miss Milkshake had a slight hematoma at the insertion point. I estimate the fetus started eating the amniotic sac at around 12.05 a.m., causing the mother internal bleeding. Dude, the fetus actually ate the placenta, by the way, as well as a chunk of the uterine wall. Miss Milkshake flatlined at 12.37 a.m., according to the heart rate recorded by the stall's computer. The fetus drowned in her blood at approximately 12.56 a.m. Roomcorp's head snapped around. He had that furious look in his eyes again. Mr. Feely, are you sure about those numbers? As soon as Miss Milkshake died, the fetus would have asphyxiated within minutes. No oxygen from her blood. And now for the really, really fucked up part. The, uh, during the fetus's struggles, its claws punched a few holes in the cow's abdomen. There was a little, uh, air coming in, which it tried to breathe, I think, but it was also aspirating the mother's blood. Rumkorf looked shocked. So the fetus outlived the mother? By around 19 minutes, Tim said. When the needle came loose, I think that baby milkshake got, uh, got hungry and tried to eat the first thing it could find. This is not good, Rumkorf said. We're going to have to increase the nutrient intake and set up shifts to check each IV on the hour. Dr. Rumkorf, Jean said. This has gone far enough. We have to kill the cows today, right now. That's enough! Roomcorp's voice boomed through the confined upper deck lab. Jean, you've never been stable to begin with, and now, well, your meds are clearly not working. I've had it with your paranoid rats. Oh, blow it out your ass, Tim said. Was this guy for real? The evidence of pending disaster sat on the table right in front of him. Don't be a fucktard, bro. Open your damn eyes. We need to kill these mutant freaks, and right now! Roomcorf's small face wrinkled with fury. I will not stand by while you two pussies ruin this. We've been working for this for years, and we're almost there. Please, Jean said. Dr. Roomcorf, you must listen. We have to... Roomcorf stamped his foot in the rubberized floor, cutting off her words. Jean, get out! I won't hear any more of this! Get out of my lab! Get out of this plane entirely! You're fired! Get out! Get out! Get out! Tim and Jean looked at each other, then back at Roomcorf. Get out, I say! Get out now! He pointed his finger to the ladder, anger radiating from his body. Jean descended. Well, maybe it wasn't a good time to get schnockered, but that's exactly what Tim was going to do. He pulled the flask out of his pocket, unscrewed the top, and took a long drink. Ah, the power of scotch. A hand hit his, and the flask flew across the lab, trailing scotch as it went. A blur of motion, then a stinging sensation on his right cheek. Roomcorp had slapped him. He stood nose to nose with Tim, his comb-over sticking up in a hundred different directions, eyes wide and unblinking behind the heavy black glasses. Feely, did you forget what I said about your career? Screw my career, Tim said. I just want to get off this island alive. I can't believe you're buying into Jean's paranoid delusions. At that moment, Tim Feely lost it. 
He pushed Ruhmkorff hard in his chest. The smaller man stumbled back and fell, turning as he did to land on his hands and knees. He started scrambling to his feet, but Tim jumped on his back. They struggled, then Tim got his hands on Ruhmkorff's head, turned it so it faced the big screen. Look at it, bro, look at it! It tried to eat its way out of the womb! The only one here with delusions is you! What's going to happen when they're born? What are we going to feed them? Tim never saw the elbow. He rolled back, jaw radiating pain, split lower lip spilling blood down his chin. Panting and shaking, Roomcorf stood and looked down. V can feed them the cattle from the other farms, and we'll have Dante bring out more food. This is science, Feely, and we have to make it work. I wish I had Erica, but I don't. I have you. Now get your ass downstairs and start doubling the nutrient supplement. I will not lose another fetus, not when we are so close. Tim stared for a second before he realized something disturbing. He was afraid of Klaus Ruhmkorff. The wee German was right. Tim was a pussy. Tim stood, face burning with embarrassment, then cautiously slipped past Ruhmkorff and scurried down the aft ladder. Ruhmkorff had always been obsessed, but this? This was a different level altogether. Anyone could see the danger. Ruhmkorff had to see it as well. Had to, but still thought he could put those creatures in the new cages. The goddamn things were going to be bigger than lions. Tim walked down the center aisle toward his lab. As he did, he passed each and every cow, staring at each and every massively swollen belly. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday. So make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. November 30th, The Call. Implantation plus 21 days. Jeanne shuffled down the hall, small steps making for a slow pace, her hands furiously spinning a Dr. Pepper bottle, top over bottom over top. She entered her room, shut the door behind her, and locked it. She then moved to the dresser. She didn't slide it, but instead picked the whole thing up. Grunting slightly from the effort, she set the dresser against the door. She looked at the big four-poster bed. She slid behind it and shoved. Wooden feet squealed against the polished stone floor. The bed wedged nicely against the dresser. Jeanne sat at her computer desk and called up the program she'd written two days earlier. There was nothing else she could do. Roomcorf wouldn't listen. Not to her, not to Tim. 
Colding wouldn't do anything. There was no longer any choice. She entered some commands. The program flashed up a window with the words, Ready to Initiate Contact Sequence. She hit enter. In the security control room, Andy Crossway was sitting hunched down behind the security monitor. His big bag of porn sat close by, the brown paper worn down to an almost tissue paper thickness from its many travels. But Andy wasn't looking at the latest jugs or gallery. He was halfway through hot midnight. No one was more shocked than he that Old Gun could write a hellacious fucking book and that Andy might actually dig some cheesy vampire romance crap. But it wasn't just a mushy romance. Gunn had thrown in more fuck scenes than a Skinamax after-hours flick. Andy didn't want anyone to see him reading the book, especially Magnus, who always had his nose in Shakespeare this or Shakespeare that. Andy hadn't read much Shakespeare, but he knew damn well the old English dude didn't write about killer vampire stable boys with glittering ruby schlongs. That bit was just genius, Gunther old boy. Genius. A long beat brought his attention to the main monitor. A command line popped up. The window listed two lines. Jammer shutdown activated. Jammer shutdown complete. What the fuck? He shuffled together the pages of Gunther's novel, set them on top of the big bag of porn, then scooted up to the keyboard. He called up the main security menu and clicked the jammer icon, launching the control window. Sure enough, the jammer status said disabled. He hit the Enable button. Access denied. Andy felt a sinking feeling in his chest. The log monitor scrolled again, this time with the messages Transmitter activated. Phone network activated. Dialing. Andy turned to the camera monitor and started flashing through the channels. C5 cockpit. Empty. C5 lab. Roomcorf working at a lab table but not near a computer. C5's cow stalls. Tim in stall four, attending to a cow, also nowhere near a computer. Magnus's room, empty. Colding's room, he was asleep in his bed. Jean's room. What was with all the furniture pushed up against the door? And she, she was sitting at her wacky computer desk. Oh, fuck a duck. The log line scrolled again. Voice connection established. Caller ID, Usamrid. Oh, motherfucker. Andy grabbed the phone and dialed the extension for Magnus's room. As it rang, he punched a button on the console, activating the secure satellite uplink monitor. Voice over IP signal detected. Would you like to monitor the audio, yes or no? He clicked yes to listen in. He called up the transmitter control window and clicked disconnect, knowing what he'd see. Access denied. Magnus still didn't answer. Oh, unholy duckfuckers! Andy turned up the sound on the monitors. A cheerful voice answered on the seventh ring. You Samred, how can I help you? The voice sounded tinny coming from the computer's small speakers. I want Paul Fisher. Pardon me, ma'am? I need Paul Fisher. Jishi Henjinji. Ma'am, I... Fisher, I must talk to Fisher about problems with our transgenic experiment. If you take time to screen this call, I will be dead before someone can answer. There was a brief pause. Hold on one moment, ma'am. Jeanne stared at the computer screen but wasn't really looking at it. All her eyes could see was a ghostly vision 
of the needle-toothed fetus snapping at the fiber-optic camera. Magnus buttoned his pants, zipped his fly, then walked out of his bathroom to the desk phone that had rung nonstop for over a minute. This is Magnus. Where the hell have you been? Andy screamed so loud, Magnus flinched and held the receiver away from his ear. Stop yelling, Magnus said. I was taking a shit. So is Jan, all over us. I think she connected to Manitoba, and from there, she's calling Fisher. Magnus reached into his desk drawer and pulled out a Beretta 96. Can you shut down our transmitter? I can't. She locked me out somehow. Turned off the jammer, too. I can't bring it back online. Magnus pinched the phone between his shoulder and ear, checked the 11-round magazine. Full. Is she talking to him now? I think she's on hold. Where is everyone? Where is Colding? A brief pause. He's sleeping. Roomkorf and Tim are in the C5. Sarah and her crew are doing maintenance there. I think Gunther's out for a snowmobile ride. I don't know where Clayton is. Maybe he's with Gunther. Magnus thought for a second, then reached into his desk drawer and pulled out a second Beretta. Listen to me, Andy. Take a 96 out of the security room rack. Get rid of it. Make sure it won't be found. And make sure there's a blank space in the rack. Got it. Magnus slid the extra barrette in the back of his pants, then walked into the hall. Are you still there, ma'am? Yes. I'll connect you now. Please hold. The phone sound changed a little, carried a touch of static. Then a man's voice answered. This is Colonel Paul Fisher. This is Dr. Leo Jandan. Listen carefully. She heard a hiss of excitement just before he spoke. Jandan, listen, we've been looking... Shut up! Her patience was gone. Time was almost up. Too much stress. They would be there soon. The rats, the spiders, the mishmash monsters with the teeth and the claws. You shut up and you listen. They are too big. What's too big? It is. The quote is wrong. I don't know why I made what I did, but it will kill us all. Doctor, please calm down. Her door shook in its frame. Five big slams. So loud. Jean screamed and stepped away from the computer. Her hands grabbed big tufts of her uneven black hair. The door rattled again, vibrating with each repetitive, powerful blow. Ma'am? Doctor? Fisher's voice came from the speakers, small and far away, drowned out by the pounding and by Jean's screams. Magnus gave up knocking and just punched the door a straight right with all his weight behind it. The wood cracked with the sound of a gunshot. A white, jagged split appeared in the thick brown door. He reared back and hit it again, even harder, and his fist went through. Blood smears streaked the splintery hole. He took a quick look at his fist. The skin had split over his knuckles. A two-inch splinter jutted from between his index and middle finger. Blood ran down his hand. Magnus pulled out the splinter, tossed it aside, then reached into the hole and tore free a thick, head-sized piece of door. He stepped forward and looked into Jean's room. It had been too much for her strained mind. The violent pounding on the door eroded her sanity to the last pebble of rational thought. When Magnus looked in, Jean didn't see a human face at all. She saw a wide, black head with smiling, evil eyes and long teeth dripping with saliva. 
the mishmash face of her dreams. Dr. Lu Jandan screamed for the last time. Magnus calmly aimed his Beretta through the hole and fired. The bullet smashed into Jean's temple, just above the left eye. It punched through bone and tumbled through her brain, ripping out the back of her skull in a cloud of pink and red. Gelatinous globs splattered against the wall. The shot knocked her back a step, froze that last scream in her throat. Chunks of bone and brain hanging from the back of her ravaged head, Liu Jandan managed to take one small step forward, regain her balance for just a second, then fell face first onto the floor. You have been listening to Ancestor by Scott Sigler. Performed by the author. Produced by Empty Set Entertainment. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.